Rusty Quill presents. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life has a pace, a rhythm. It's always unsettling when things disturb it. The death of a friend, an injury, an accident. When the unexpected comes calling, it usually visits with bad news in tow. Today's story is about a man who sets his watch by life's banalities. He lives a boring life, a life he generally enjoys. But things are about to change for him. It starts small. A gap appears on a street where there was no gap. But even a small change in a boring life can have extraordinary effects. Before we get to today's story, I've got a few announcements to make. First is that we're now on Patreon. It's what all the uh, cool kids in podcasting are doing. A lot of podcasters couch their Patreon announcements with phrases like, this will help us keep getting the podcast out on time, or this will make the podcast financially viable. Me, I'm in this thing wholesale. I'm putting up a Patreon because I'm literally going to turn that money into food, beer, and rent, though probably not in that order. This and writing is my only full-time job, and it doesn't pay well. But it's what I love doing, and so here I am. So, if you donate to the Patreon, you're literally paying me to chase my dream. And eat. We've got pretty much the basic setup over there. I won't go into it. You can find out more at patreon.com slash westsidefairytales. But basically, you get early access to stuff and even behind-the-scenes videos on lower tiers. And if you spend $10 or more, we'll send you stuff in the mail. Stickers, bookmarks, simple stuff. Really, it's just a way to throw me a few bucks if you like my writing, so if you want to support an independent horror and dark fiction author, 
head on over to patreon.com slash westsidefairytales. If you're looking for another way to support the podcast and get a great pair of headphones in the process, then check out our sponsor, Studio Sweden. They're a great headphone company based out of Sweden, and they make headphones that are stylish and sound great. I have the Regent, their on-ear model, which has a battery life of like 24 straight hours or more. I plugged them in once after I got them and used the things for weeks before I had to charge them. They have a headphone jack adapter built into the headset too, so I just listened on the cord between charges. If you want a pair of great-looking, great-sounding headphones, head over to studio.com and use my promo code, WESTSIDE15, to get 15% off at checkout. This month's book recommendation is Dry by Augustin Burroughs, one of my favorite nonfiction authors. Dry is about Burroughs' struggles with alcohol and how he learned to live with them, if not wholly overcome them. It's a funny, heartfelt story of a guy finding himself in his late 20s when it's not the story of a guy circling the drain in a puddle of old scotch. I highly recommend it. Now, without further ado, today's story, The Gap on Gable Street. Bartholomew didn't mean to find the gap. In fact, he didn't believe he'd found it at all during those first confused seconds, looking at his palm in utter disbelief. 32 bricks over 32 feet, occasionally stamped with Cincinnati blockworks and kitschy Art Deco cuneiform. They'd laid their unbroken line for all the 40 years Bartholomew had spent at the University of Cincinnati, where he taught trigonometry to generations of sleeping heads and occasional geniuses. They'd been that way when the den was called Mary Magdalena's and owned by the insufferable hippie Bible thumper Drew Longmore. An unbroken line, a seamless plane. But now there was a gap where there couldn't be. Everything was there, every single brick, all the same length, and even the den's wall was still the same length. The street would have had to stretch to accommodate the change. There was nowhere for this gap to fit. He ran a hand down his face. It wasn't a large gap, though he could easily slide his lanky body into it, turning sideways. No, it wasn't large, held against the scales of the universe, a measure might rule it at about 18 inches. But in Bartholomew's mind, it was larger than the gaps between stars. The infinite space beyond the stars. This gap had grown in the spaces of the mind making a hole in his most basic understanding of the world. He made a triangle of the creases in his palm and measured the angles by sight. This calmed him a bit, and he dropped his hand, then looked up and down the street. A few students shuffled by the bookstore on the opposite corner, the only other souls on this lonely stretch of Gable Street. Cars rumbled by as well, and a homely busker twanged out some awful folk music on a down-tuned six-string across the street. Bartholomew turned back to the gap and closed his eyes. He held his hand up again, reached out, and tried to set his hand firmly against brick or plaster. He found nothing but air. Air slightly cooler than the muggy summer heat beating down on the alley, but air nonetheless. He ran a hand through his hair. Dean Manners was right, he muttered after a moment. Dean Manners, a formidable woman and the only person Bartholomew thought of as boss, had taken to calling him Batty Barty behind his back a few semesters prior. He didn't know why she did this. Bartholomew looked no more haggard or unkempt than any other professor on campus. He was unfailingly polite and did little stand out, but stand out he had, to her at least. Bartholomew steeled himself and walked back to the corner of Willie's, where he placed his hand on the bricks and tried to begin his morning anew. He felt the scrape of imperfections in the bricks beneath his fingers as he walked. He closed his eyes again and counted softly to himself as his fingertips traced the spaces between the bricks. He counted 32 and then felt nothing. He opened his eyes and saw the gray plaster facade of the den just 18 or so inches away, ending in a rounded corner that faded back into the dark of the gap. Bartholomew stood back and tugged at his beard with his fingers. This section of Gable Street was little more than a connecting alley between two larger thoroughways, Calhoun Street and McMillan Street. The gap before him seemed deep, too deep for him to see the end of it. The walls were just continuations of the gray plaster of the den's facade and the rough brickwork on the side of Willie's. Low clouds hung overhead and further darkened the area, but he felt for certain that he should at least be able to see the end of this impossibility. Just so damn peculiar, Bartholomew muttered. He unslung the brown wool suit jacket, his favorite with the elbow patches, and fanned himself with a collar. Pre-rain humidity had fallen on the city a few days before, but the rolling gray and black clouds overhead refused to break. It felt as though a great sweating balloon lay in the sky just overhead. 
filling with boiling water and fit to burst. Bartholomew got his phone out and swiped up and down on the confounded thing until he found the flashlight tool. He pressed the button and shone the light into the gap. It cut into the murk only a few feet deeper than he could already see, but it did reveal an odd bit of graffiti on the brickwork on the right. An odd symbol, not unlike an eye or a setting sun, cleanly drawn with a thick brush. He had never seen anything like it before, though a phrase popped into his mind unexpectedly. Blind Horizon. Well, at least somebody's been here rather than me, he mumbled, turning and walking away, counting every step until he reached the far corner of the den's facade, which itself marked the end of Gable Street. He pulled out the rumpled, leather-bound notebook he kept for just such emergencies and jotted down his pace count. Then he headed to class. The problem of the gap on Gable Street stuck with Bartholomew all day. Today was Friday, after all, when he ate breakfast at Willie's and then sat and graded papers at the den. Every week, like clockwork. He'd never been a man to change his schedule. All those Fridays walking down Gable Street and tracing his fingers along the wall, there were probably microscopic ruts in those bricks to mark his passage, carved into them as water-carved rock, stroke by patient stroke. The possibilities before him were threefold. First, and least likely, there had always been a gap there on Gable Street and he'd never noticed. Madness. Second, Second, there had been some sort of construction there in just a single night that had left no debris or marks of any kind and resulted in a new 18-inch gap between the structures. Foolish. Third, he had lost his mind, and Dean Manners was right to call him Batty Barty. He cleared his throat, tugged at his beard. Uh, Professor Annex? asked one of the students. Bartholomew blinked and looked at the whiteboard in front of him. His marker had left a squiggly trail away from the R in Pythagoras. He turned and saw a few of his students had already left before the end of class. Or had they even shown up in the first place? He capped his marker and folded his arms over the lectern. I'm sorry, students, he said. But I've got something on my mind. Clearly, one of the students said. The others laughed. Hmm, perhaps you can help me then, Bartholomew said. Does anybody here need a refresher course on Pythagoras and Trig 3? A chorus of groans came up from the class and he smiled at them, then wiped the whiteboard clean. This is my dilemma. Today I was walking around and found that something I thought I knew was no longer the thing I knew. Of course, you all know this expression. He wrote A squared plus B squared equals C squared on the board. The class grumbled in acknowledgement and he wrote another formula beneath it. A squared plus B squared equals X squared. X does not equal C. A few of the students jotted the new formula down and started doodling with it. He tapped the now-capped marker against the formula. What does this mean? He asked. One student, a boy with long, greasy hair he believed was named Justin, raised his hand. You've altered the Pythagorean theorem, he ventured. Bartholomew urged him to continue. I guess it could mean that X is the new measure of the hypotenuse, but then what does C mean? The kid tapped his pencil against his notebook paper. Are we even looking at a triangle anymore? Bartholomew pointed at him and smiled. Are we indeed? Bartholomew took the bus downtown to the city planner's office. He hadn't driven anything other than a 10-speed since the 90s, and even that was rusting to pieces in his storage shed on the west side. Clouds choked the sky, casting everything in shades of gray. People looked up and wondered when it might rain. He even found himself staring up to the sky, mouth open and eyes squinted into that rolling darkness hanging over the tops of the buildings. Bartholomew had inherited his generation's stern distrust of the internet and all its fool's gold. He found the invention promising, useful for years, until he'd found a Wikipedia entry on himself. Some vandal had filled every inch of the page with love letters to farts with the phrasing strongly suggesting that Bartholomew had made the entries himself. That was the first time he'd ever seen the Batty Barney nickname. The planner's office was stuffy and crowded with brown folders stacked into row upon row of green enamel racks. The clerk on duty was surprised when Bartholomew asked to see the original paper plans. It was rare, she said, that anybody actually used the physical inventory. Most of the people that interacted with her office, engineers, politicians and the like, just sent electronic requests or viewed the data online. 
I don't have time for that nonsense, Bartholomew muttered to himself, now isolated in the dimly lit stacks. Sections were organized by grid location on the main city map, and then by parcels within that grid. Bartholomew found the search invigorating. He was a type of research he didn't often indulge in, venturing out into the stacks for a piece of random esoterica. He found the file he was looking for and sat down cross-legged to open it on his lap. He found the map after a bit of hurried shuffling and opened it. Desiccated paper cracked in his hands and he almost thought the thing was going to fall to dust in his fingers, but it held together, and he carefully flattened it out on the floor, finding Gable Street with his finger and then jotting down the information he needed. Somebody coughed on the other side of the vast, underground storeroom. Bartholomew peeked into the closest gap between shelves, squinting to make out whomever it was bumbling around back there in the dark. They coughed again and again, great phlegmy rattles that made Bartholomew's throat ache sympathetically. Then he heard the person muttering to himself, he was sure it was a man, and stomping up and down the aisles. Bartholomew quickly threw the map back in the file and put it on the shelf, then crept toward the edge of the aisles. He didn't want to be caught up in a conversation with a stranger in such a musty, foreboding place. More to the point, the person sounded unwell, and sick people made his skin crawl. More heavy coughing broke up the insane muttering. The woman who'd showed him down to the files hadn't been coughing like that. It sounded almost like one of his students who'd smoked marijuana on the sly before class. Sometimes on the sly during class, excusing themselves to use the restroom and returning absolutely peppered. Perhaps it was some hourly assistant or maintenance man, and that was why they were making such a god-awful racket. The noises stopped suddenly, and Bartholomew found himself frozen in place, his foot hovering just over the floor. He set it down carefully, feeling foolish. He heard a great sucking breath, and the footsteps resumed, clearly coming toward him. He stutter-stepped forward, hesitated, then briskly skipped to the stairs and took them two at a time up three flights to the lobby. It was empty. Bartholomew slowed down and caught his breath, scratching sweat off his face with the tweed arm of his suit jacket. The cloth really was ill-suited for the job. He slipped his notebook in his pocket, only realizing just then that he'd been holding it the entire time. Some of the pages had soaked with perspiration and curled. A great hacking cough echoed up from the stairwell behind him and he began an awkward stride toward the front door. Leather shoes tapped an uneven rhythm on the stairs and he felt the hair raise on his neck. This coughing specter had full well terrified Bartholomew, a feeling he was not used to. He found himself looking around the lobby for some sort of assistance, but it was completely vacant. Bartholomew was not accustomed to fear. It crawled in him like worms through old meat. His heart hurled itself against the sides of his ribcage. He felt like it might rupture if he stressed it any harder. He lived a life he often equated to a fine whiskey in his mind. It was nice when it was calm and cool and enjoyed in sips. These sudden deviations, the gap and jumping at shadows, were wholly unwelcome. Things felt normal outside the city planner's office. Everybody was sweating out here because it was nearly 100 degrees and humid, not because they were being chased. And there were people. People a man like him could potentially rely on if he were accosted by some deranged sick person. The thought of that seemed ridiculous out here in the daylight. Still, he put as much distance as possible between himself and the revolving office doors. Bartholomew found a bus on Main Street and welcomed the burst of cold air that hit his face as he swiped his bus pass. The operator didn't look at him, just stayed slumped over her steering wheel, idly munching on sunflower seeds. He took a seat in the near back where he was sure it would be coldest and watched the city slip by as they drove. Bars and upscale restaurants, what yuppies call gastropubs and eateries, gave way to shelled-out husks of buildings and great crowds of tired-looking black people who all seemed on their way to nowhere. The park at the base of the hill leading up into Clifton was packed with men in white t-shirts, who stood around watching people pass on the sidewalk. A few of them hopped on the bus and Bartholomew turned his attention back to his own window. A homeless woman stood on the sidewalk in the shadow of the bus stop. He guessed her to be anywhere from 30 to 40 years old, her hair a tangled red frizz wreathing her face. She wore a great blue backpack, stuffed with all her worldly possessions, and it swung wildly with her slightest movement. Bartholomew saw she was scoping out the inside of a tiny access alley between two buildings, leaning in to get a better view inside the murk. Bartholomew's eyes widened as two fleshy white hands curled around the back of the woman's head. A flash of something else, a face perhaps, flashed in the darkness and then was hidden by the homeless woman's head. Her body gave two quick jerks, 
and then slid forward into the darkness, arms hanging limp at her side. Bartholomew yelped. People on the bus turned to look at him. He stammered and then pointed out the window to the little alley where the woman had disappeared. He saw her backpack had fallen off, stripped from her shoulders by the narrow entrance. Maybe half the heads turned away in an instant, and he saw concern or morbid curiosity in the faces that remained. There, there was a woman, he said softly, pointing out the window as the bus began to move. Nobody even looked out the window. He turned to the young black man that had sat in the seat next to his and they turned their faces down to the floor, clearly unnerved by the frizzy-haired old Greek man in the patchy suit. Please. Nobody said anything. The last few faces turned away from him and he felt nearly as alone as he had in the lobby of the city planner's office. He put his hand on the window and looked back at the overstuffed blue backpack sitting alone on the sidewalk. Bartholomew phoned in from his apartment to cancel his classes and let the rest of the faculty know he wouldn't be coming in for the rest of the week. Dean Manor's secretary seemed to be the only one answering phones at the STEM offices and he could hear loud whispering in the background of the call. An obligatory batty barty leaked through over the line. The voices did seem a little loud, even too boisterous. Perhaps they were having a staff drinking party without him again. The secretary, sounding worried and rushed, said goodbye and ended the call. He slumped back in the patched brown leather sofa his ex-husband, Malik, had bought for the apartment they'd shared as doctoral candidates 30 years prior. He lay his forearm over his eyes and sipped at the Manhattan he'd made for himself. He'd been estranged from his ex for more than a decade. Their end had been the oldest cliché in the book. He'd found Malik in bed with a young intern and blown up the relationship on the spot. He'd felt vindicated at the time, harboring some notion that he was on the right side of history and Malik would live the rest of his life in regret. But Malik had taken a post in Austin, Texas, and apparently lived like a gay Hugh Hefner, working as an aerospace engineer and helping himself to every 20-year-old with a pulse. Facebook was, indeed, the greatest misstep of the new millennium. Bartholomew felt lonely. His apartment, once an eclectic little nest he'd put together after the common-law divorce, looked like the warren of a madman. Yellowed books covered every available surface, and atop them sat bundles of unopened Cincinnati Post daily newspapers. The place smelled like spilled coffee and dry rot. He was just glad he'd never gotten a cat like everybody had suggested after the divorce. He'd have found it crushed to death one day under an unopened box of dinner plates. Bartholomew called out for dinner, cursing with frustration when place after place either didn't answer or weren't able to deliver that night because people hadn't shown up for work. He eventually reached a La Rosa's employee willing to deliver a calzone to his apartment for a respectably increased fee. Bartholomew busied himself digging around in the second guest bedroom during the wait. Ostensibly his office, the room had started out cluttered and only gotten worse as he'd filled up the living room dining room, and the parts of the kitchen he didn't need for coffee and the occasional egg sandwich. It took him the better part of an hour to find what he was looking for, an old measuring wheel from when he'd still harbored hopes of becoming an architect. The thing measured long distances by simply rolling over them and counting the exact feet on the little box by the handle. The wheel itself was about a foot wide and connected to the handle by a metal pole wrapped in orange reflective tape. Bartholomew held the wheel out in front of him like a rapier, fifth drink of the night dangling over his head in a poor impersonation of a fencer. He made a few short jabs in the direction of the hallway door, certainly frightening any ghosts that were there, and then rolled the device out into the living room. The little box counted a perfect 20 feet. Bartholomew raised the thing again and then dropped it when he heard a loud bang on his front door. It clattered off the patchy brown chair and into a box of National Geographic magazines from the 80s. He looked at his door and waited for another knock, or at least an apology. There was nothing. Bartholomew snatched the measuring wheel off the ground and held it in front of him, slowly approaching the door. He saw nothing through the peephole, so he pressed the glowing red button on the view screen beside the door. It showed a green image of the hall outside. A white square sat on his welcome mat. Bartholomew breathed a sigh of relief. He paid for the pizza in advance, so the delivery boy or girl or whatever had just dropped the pizza, knocked, and left. He tried to remember if he'd put in a good tip over the phone. Probably he had. Bartholomew set the measuring wheel against the doorframe and opened his apartment door onto the warm smell of fresh calzone. He picked up the box. The receipt showed a $5 tip on a $20 pizza. Maybe the delivery driver was just an asshole. He took a step back inside the apartment and then stopped. Something glistened on the wall opposite the door. 
a smattering of glittering black dots like little sequins affixed to the plaster. He stepped out into the hallway and reached his hand out, brushing his finger against something cold and wet. The little sequins had turned into broad smears going down the wall. He turned his fingers to the light and saw the tips covered in red. Oh my God, Bartholomew exclaimed, taking a step back inside the apartment and clutching his pizza to his chest. Something heavy and wet thumped on the carpet just down the hall, around the corner to his left that led to the elevator. Uh, are you? Is everything all right? Someone cleared their throat and began coughing loudly in the dim light around the corner. He saw a shape on the wall move, the shadow of a man, imperfect and too large. Bartholomew fell back inside his apartment, slamming the door shut behind him. He looked around the room, searching for something to block the door, then panicked and pulled down a whole stack of Encyclopedia Britannica's he'd set against the wall, probably when George W. Bush was still in office. They fell down against the door and it flew open into the hall. He cursed under his breath and pulled the door shut tight. Then he snapped every lock on the thing shut and ran for his bedroom. He dropped the food on the bed and waded through piles of clothes to his closet, where he pulled armfuls of old shoeboxes down off the top shelf. Then he found it. Bartholomew mouthed a little cheer and pulled down the green metal box his father had left for him. His father, more estranged from Bartholomew than Malik ever had any hope of being, had left him one thing in his will, this box and what was inside it. He struggled with the lid but it finally popped free with a satisfying rush of air and the bundle inside fell out into his lap. Aha! Bartholomew yelled, brandishing his father's old semi-automatic colt at the empty hallway. His shoulders slumped after a second when he realized nothing had actually followed him into the apartment. He toyed with the gun for just a few seconds before finding out the damn thing wasn't even loaded. He fished a few oily forty-five rounds out of the metal box and took five minutes to load the thing. He even pulled his phone out of his robe to check the internet for instructions on how to do so, and how to fire it as well. Both proved blindingly easy, not somewhat physically difficult. He had to manually push every round down into the spring-fed magazine, which was as stiff and responsive as when his father had first bought it. That finished, he stalked room by room through his apartment for any signs of an intruder. Satisfied he'd found none, he poured himself another drink and ate. Bartholomew dragged himself out of bed to find his phone. The sound of it had carried into the vague nightmare he'd had about an old cruise ship and hadn't stopped even after he'd woke up. He felt the steady, radiant heat bleeding through the windows, put his hand over his left eye, and groaned. He drank himself to sleep the night before, sitting on his patchy brown armchair and then on his bed as he found his way to the bottom of the bottle of Durbin Miller's whiskey. It was no Jack Daniels, but it was cheap and he had a lot of it because people always seemed to buy it for him for his birthday. This year was the first where he hadn't gotten a new bottle, because all of his remaining friends had finally managed to die or realized they hated him. The phone sat on the chair beside his father's old gun. In the light of day, he could see the steel slide and the grip were spotted with rust, despite the oiled rag his father had wrapped it with. The phone kept buzzing until he finally squelched it using a side button and logged in by pressing his finger to the screen. It flashed bright green for a second and then scrolled through a dozen or so reminders. The alarm had been for him. It was supposed to wake him up in time for his daily trip to Willie's, and he'd forgotten to turn it off. All the morning's news was grim. Dozens of murders and a handful of accidents all across the city overnight. Police force stretched thin as always. Preachers out in the streets and bad neighborhoods and business owners complaining about kids skipping work. Nothing new. Bartholomew pushed himself through his morning routine with grim determination trying here and there to squeeze the hangover away by pressing his palm to his temple. His apartment remained a quiet companion as always, the soft sounds of settling and shifting paper, things growing older, familiar and welcome as music. Bartholomew didn't regret a thing about his quiet, boring life, aside from the sometimes terminal feeling of loneliness. But even that was palatable, so long as he kept busy. He picked up the measuring wheel and stuffed his father's pistol awkwardly into the inner pocket of a suit jacket. It took him a few minutes and some modification to the pocket itself, but eventually he felt just like James Cagney setting off on some adventure. His latest distraction. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. 
Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Bartholomew made a point of eating at Willie's before inspecting the gap. In fact, he harbored a deep belief that he'd walk along the wall today and find nothing out of place. Just an even 60 feet of wall from corner to corner according to the measurements he'd gotten from the city planner's office. The gap would be gone, because it had never been there, just like the blood he'd seen in the hallway the night before. Bartholomew had been all over the wall outside the door to his apartment just after leaving, going so far as to shine the light from his phone over the beige paint for any specks. he had found some dark smudges, but they could be anything, even a splash of Merlot from one of his younger neighbors. Smudges were all he found, though. After stalking around the dimly lit hallway for ten minutes with a pistol in his coat and a obnoxiously orange measuring wheel bouncing around at his hip, he'd abandoned the search. He now sat with the wheel propped up beside him in his usual booth down from the bar. He ordered an egg sandwich on a bagel with parsley and tarragon. It was good. It took forever to pay the bill, which he thought was strange. Willie's was a small place and had great service, especially when it was as dead inside as it was now. The server, a slender young man with bags under his eyes, took Willie's money without a word and cashed him out. He mumbled an apology for the wait when he got back to the table, mentioning something about being short-staffed. Bartholomew didn't bother tracing his fingers along the wall today. He could see the gap on Gable Street from the corner, a strip of black separating brick and plaster. The same busker sat on the opposite side of the road, dirty blonde hair hanging over his face as he strummed some folk song on a six-string. Bartholomew placed the measuring wheel on the ground and began walking. He shivered upon reaching the edge of the gap. Cool, fetid air leaked out of the darkness there, like the vent of a mildewed air conditioner. He looked down at the little box on the handle and saw that it read 32 feet, just as he expected. He continued walking until he reached the other corner. The box read 60 feet, even. Bartholomew looked at the readout for a long time and then reset the counter and walked back to the gap. From the corner to the edge of the den's facade, the counter marked 28 feet. 
Bartholomew pulled his pocket notebook out again and checked the information he'd gotten from the planner. Everything matched the calculations he'd gotten from the map there. He walked the rest of the way to the far corner. Again, 60 feet. Bartholomew looked from the counter to the gap, and then back again. Then over at the busker. The man simply sat strumming his guitar, unaware that he was in the presence of a phenomena to rival a biblical miracle. Bartholomew made the trip three more times, each time measuring the distance to the gap and then to the far corner. Each time he came up with 60 feet, 32 feet from the corner of Willie's to the gap, and 28 feet from the corner of the den to the gap. But the gap refused to be counted in with the rest of the measurements. A squared plus B squared equals D squared, Bartholomew muttered to himself. This time he walked straight to the gap, reset the counter, and then rolled the measuring wheel from one side of the gap to the next. The counter read zero. He blinked. Then he tried again. Zero. Bartholomew held the handle in an angle so he could watch the wheel move as it crossed the threshold of the gap. It turned as freely as he could have hoped, rolling and engaging the simplistic clockwork that drove the counter. He looked at the counter and saw it still read zero. He cursed and turned, rolling the wheel an arbitrary distance beside Willie's exterior wall. The counter rolled up about two and a half feet even as he watched. Mother of God, he whispered, turning and rolling it in front of the gap again. Just as before, the wheel rolled, but the counter remained stationary. But why that reaction? Wouldn't it make more sense for the wheel to simply not roll? How is it affecting the internal mechanisms of the device? He rolled the measuring wheel back and forth in front of the gap, and then over the border between it and the wall. Hey, man, a voice said behind him. Bartholomew nearly jumped out of his skin. He turned to find a tall, scraggly blonde man with a guitar, the busker, standing a few feet away from him. The guy wore a dour expression. Bro, I see you got some stuff to work out. I'm cool with that. But you're like harshing my spot real bad. Nobody's going to want to listen with you bugging out like that. Bartholomew opened his mouth and then closed it. He looked from the man down at the gap and then back. He pointed to the murky darkness beyond. Can you see this? Bartholomew asked. The guy mopped a handful of sweat off his face and wiped it on his denim vest. Bartholomew mimicked his gesture instinctively. Sweat was already starting to burn his eyes. It really was damn hot outside. The guy looked at the gap. The fucking alley? Um, yes, Bartholomew replied. So he wasn't crazy. This is good news. Yeah, man, the guy said, clearing his throat. Uh, yeah. You play here a lot? Was this here last week? The guy blinked and remained silent for a long time, then cocked his head back. Wow, uh, is that like a cone or something? He asked. No, a cone? It's rectangular, obviously. No, Bartholomew rubbed his beard and turned to look at the gap. No, man, like, not like a traffic cone, a cone, the guy said. It's like some zen shit. Anyway, I don't got time for this. I gotta get back to playing. Can you clear out for a bit, man? This is really cutting into my best hours. Sure, Bartholomew said. At least that was something. Somebody else could see the damn thing. He wasn't insane. He turned to leave, deciding to at least get coffee at the den while thinking things over. Hey, the guy continued. Can your friend go too? Shouldn't be lurking around. Bartholomew froze as the guy's voice cut off into a strangled gurgle. He turned and saw empty pavement. A hand shot out of the gap and grabbed the plaster corner of the den's facade. Bartholomew leaped forward and grabbed it without thinking. He pulled and heard something tear. Then he fell on his ass on the pavement, the measuring wheel skidding out into the street. The busker's arm fell to the pavement, along with half the man's torso. His blue eyes, considerably paler than just a moment before, locked on to Bartholomew's in an expression of confusion and gripping horror. The man couldn't believe what was happening to him. Bartholomew couldn't either. The man's arm reached out, then he was being dragged back into the gap. Bartholomew grabbed for the man's hand, but stopped when he saw the face. It was tiny, for such a big head pointed at the chin with swollen black eyes that looked colored into place with a charcoal pencil. The mouth at the bottom, what he could see of it, was passably human. But the teeth were needle-thin and sharp, and the angular jaw seemed to creep back and up into the thing's neck. Its nose was a sharp, three-sided point set near in the middle of its eyes and worked constantly, 
twitching with every breath. Bartholomew froze. The thing dragged the dying man into the gap with a thick, ape-like arm. The fingers ended in perfect pink nails that looked almost manicured. It dragged the man away into the murk beyond the gap, and then the gap was gone, as though it had never been there at all. Several long minutes passed before he felt he could breathe freely. Nothing remained of the blonde man, not his guitar, not even most of his blood, save for a few speckles that had landed on Bartholomew's face and hands, and oddly flat-ended patches in an oblong strip in front of him. The puddle that had spilled out of the gap with the man's torso was completely gone. Eventually, Bartholomew rose to his feet and, not knowing what to do, spent the rest of the morning drinking Bailey's laced coffees at the den. Bartholomew stopped going to class entirely after that. Stopped doing much of anything, really. He avoided Gable Street like the plague, but that didn't matter. He started seeing gaps everywhere. Tiny alleys just a touch too dark, a bit too cramped for any discernible use. Nobody called from the school, and on the few times he walked across campus in search for more gaps, he noticed there were almost no students. The few he saw walked in quiet groups or alone, and everybody seemed terribly tired. But he never stayed out later than sundown. Something was following him, that he was sure of. Only at night, only in the quiet, small places where it was hard to hide, impossible to run. Bartholomew had taken to barricading himself in his apartment at night, and his father's gun was now rust-free and well-oiled. He didn't know if he could hit a thing with it, but he knew in his heart that he might have to try. The summer heat was almost completely suffocating when he found the gap on Plum Street, sitting between two buildings across from City Hall. Not knowing why, he took a seat and watched people pass by it all day none of them ever even noticing how the afternoon sun never found its way inside the gap. Around noon, he saw what he was looking for, something completely different from the creature that had dragged the guitar player into the gap on Gable Street. It slipped out behind a group of three people and grabbed a young girl by the throat. Its hands, its body, seemed made of slime and chitinous hard bits that smoked in the sunlight. It bit deep into the girl's neck, and her body shuddered terribly as it fell forward onto the ground. The girls screamed when their friend landed on the ground beside them and quickly helped her up. In that brief second, the shadowy thing had slid inside the hole in her neck. The other girls, so concerned with their friend's safety, didn't notice the wriggling lumps under the girl's pink spaghetti-strapped t-shirt, and they didn't see the foggy darkness in her eyes, and her smile as she told them she was fine and just feeling a little lightheaded. Bartholomew watched them go and then crept across the street to the gap, he didn't have time to think about the girl or what the shadow had done to her, what mischief it would cause with her body. Bartholomew pulled his gun and his cell phone out of his pocket, flicked on the light on the phone, and went in search of answers. Nothing pulled or pushed at him as he stepped into the gap. There was no feeling of force or other physical effects. The ground beneath his feet felt firm. Plum Street still stood behind him, albeit as though he were looking at an old photograph. Above and around him was an oppressive murk, a physical darkness light couldn't penetrate. Bartholomew traveled deeper. Chill air raised the hair on his arms. He saw something odd in the distance, ringed in the fuzzy non-light that seemed to ring every physical thing in this place. There were objects on the ground, some he could make out and others he couldn't. Cups, books, a bicycle. The object in the distance turned out to be a steel door, hanging from the ether itself on a single broken hinge. Bartholomew stepped through the door and felt the wooden floorboards underneath his feet. The cell phone provided little light. None, he realized when he turned it off experimentally. The light he navigated by seemed to come from him, or maybe his presence pushing against the physical darkness around him. He bumped into something and heard chair legs squealing over wood. Bartholomew fumbled in the dark and found a tiny writing desk. The darkness pushed back some to reveal an ancient mechanical typewriter of a variety he'd never seen in his life. Keys were missing from the rows of upraised arms, and there was no ink or paper. Still, by some compulsion he couldn't understand, he leaned forward and pressed down on the G key. The typing arms smacked down and blinding gold light burst out of the typewriter, roaring out in a great ball that illuminated his surroundings for a split second in a sort of visual sonar. He tapped the key again and saw the golden ball roll through the room he was in, the third-floor drawing room of some ancient house, and then outside over a lifeless valley between two mountains. The effect was similar to a burst of lightning filling the world with false daylight for a microsecond. 
He tapped the key again and saw that the house was caved in throughout the entire wing to his west. Things moved in the dark corners of the house, vaguely human shapes that shambled blindly through the other floors. His throat went dry and he looked around, realizing he could no longer see the door he'd gone through. He pressed the key and something screamed past the shattered windows before the desk, displacing air with such force he nearly fell. Bartholomew dropped his pistol and scrambled around by his feet to find it. In the depths of the house, he heard a familiar coughing noise and the shuffle of footsteps, then several ruinous throats joined the chorus, as though he'd interrupted a party of tuberculosis patients. He passed a panicked look over the room and then smashed his fingers down on as many keys as he could. Gold light filled the air for several seconds this time. In the lower levels, he could see the outlines of yawning mouths and empty eyes searching through the floors for him. They started moving as he did, with renewed purpose. In the last brilliant seconds before the light faded, Bartholomew found the broken steel door and ran. His heart leapt as he stood in the doorway. Every corner of the city lay before him, overlapping like multiple exposures on a single frame of film. The sight made perfect sense to his mind, and none at all at the same time but he could hear things creeping in the murk behind him and so he leapt through the door. Mustering what strength his old body could handle, he pushed the door closed behind him. Bartholomew stood alone outside the great American ballpark, the Ohio River and all of Kentucky at his back. Rain poured over his face and shoulders, cold and exhilarating. His hands were braced against the side of the stadium as though he were the only thing holding it together. He stood up straight and looked around. Nothing. Nothing at all. Just trees and the river and the bridges crossing it. He could even see white and red lights coursing over the highways reflected in the water. But here, in the shadow of the stadium, it was lonely and growing cooler as the rain fell. Bartholomew tucked his father's pistol into his suit jacket and crossed his arms tightly for warmth. Lights were still on all over the city. He started walking for downtown not knowing what to do with himself, not sure of what had just happened, not sure who might be coughing in the shadows beneath the ballpark. Well, that was the gap on Gable Street. Pretty weird, right? Have you ever had something change up in your life that knocked everything sideways? Have you ever seen a guitarist sucked through a gap in a wall and torn in half? Did you like the story? If you did, find us on social media and tell me about it. I love hearing from fans, and I'll always take a little time out of my day to chat with you guys. You all are, after all, the reason I do this. Send a message to westsidefairytales at gmail.com if you want a direct line, or find us at WSFairyTales on Twitter, and WestsideFairyTales on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Fair warning, maybe 25% of the Instagram account is pictures of our pet rabbits, Jacques and Marcel, but the rest of it is whatever spooky stuff we come across during our adventures here in Louisville, Kentucky, as well as art from our stellar episode artist, Yui Breedlove. Also, don't forget to stop by our Patreon if you're looking for a way to support the show. For as little as a dollar, you'll get early access to episodes, and if you're willing to spend a little more... You'll get access to behind-the-story videos, free merch, and even PDFs and signed physical manuscripts from the Westside Fairy Tales story archives. Check it out at patreon.com slash westsidefairytales. There are only two more episodes left in this season of the Westside Fairy Tales, and like this episode and the one previous, the connections between the individual stories are going to become more and more readily apparent. Next month's tale is my take on an old standby of the horror genre, the trapped-in-a-gas-station story. It follows two twenty-somethings as they move to their new life in California, and on the way they become trapped in a gas station by strange, destructive creatures that hover in the sky. I hope you'll join us again in June when I bring you the story Last Chance Gas. And until then, stay safe out there. Westside Fairy Tales is written, read, and produced by Tyler Bell. All content here in copyright 2018, Tyler Bell.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast. Due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.